Okay, so tonight we're going to be learning Oskaf, Oskaf, in Sefer Yishmilin from Rav Kook. And I'm going to say it as Oskaf in Havarat Ashkenazi, just for the purpose of the way I speak. Um, I don't know how Rav Kook would have said it, I imagine, in Havarat Ashkenazis as well. Um, so Oskaf is going to be very important to really remember what we discussed in Osiud last week. Because as we saw, Ostes was the sum total of all the Pratim, in case then included within the Or HaTzadik, within the Klaliyut of the Pratiyut, if you will, within the collective gathering of all the particulars. The Osiud was, in a certain sense, a reversion back to the Aleph, where everything is included in one full manifestation of Klaliyut, except with the Yud, we saw that the Yud, as it is expressed, the second level of the Yud, um, the Chachma Tata, which we described in the name of Rav Kook, in the name of the, in the name of the Rebbe Rashab as well, we saw that the Os Yud spells itself out Yud Vav Dalit, which meant that it was an Akuda, Akav, and a Shatach. It was the preparatory stages of the formation of space, of the formation of matter from the point to the ray to the area. And as we saw at the end of Osiud, Rav Kook was very specific to tell us that Osiud does not come into being. Osiud does not manifest as a makom or as a space, but rather it is something that only the eye, the ayin of chachma, the seichel, the insight of the mind is able to perceive, but the hand, the koachayad, the koachayad, which was Lashon of Yud, was incapable of touching it. Now, as we come to Oschaf, what we're going to find is that Rav Kook is now showing us how Yud transforms itself into the next stage of being as it becomes more and more relatable to creation, more and more relatable to the guidelines of matter and the determinant factors of separation and limitation and width and length. Now, for Rav Kook, Oschaf, it is not quite there yet. We're not quite at the place where full manifestation of being takes place. We're still in the realms of Ein Sofiyut. From Aleph all the way to Chaf, we're still in a place where we're still talking about Hashem Mitzido Kavyachol, that all of these preparatory stages from Aleph to Tess, and then with the Yud as the Kaliyut HaKol, and now to Chaf, we're still not talking about something that has been put there for human beings to interact with, but rather the process or the detailed process, which Rav Kook is describing from Aleph to Chaf, is the slow but steady degradation that Ein Sofiyut experiences so that it can manifest itself in creation, thereby allowing us to engage with creation and anointing creation with a deeper level of infinity, of showing that Ein Sofiyut doesn't only exist without any limitation like we've spoken about so often, but rather that Insofiut has the capacity to manifest in limitation as well, thereby adorning perfection and garbing it with some additional capacity, which is the purpose of creation through the acts of human Bechira. Now, really, one Hakdama that's two parts in order to properly understand the Oschaf, last week we spoke about the Osiyud as being the Moach of Chachma as being this generalized vision, the, the epistemological mode of, of knowledge, of wisdom, I'm sorry, of knowing something in its general form, of seeing it from a distance, being able to perceive everything, but because we're able to perceive so much, we thereby lose out on the details and the particularity of the thing. Now, after Chachma, we have the Moach of Bina. 
And we said that Chachma is on the right side. Chachma is associated with Chesed and openness, the right side of the brain, Kavyachol. Bina, on the other hand, is going to be more severe. It's a severe form of consciousness, a severe form of epistemological knowing, um, roughly translated as understanding the way Chazal describe it, and Rashi brings this down in Tanakh, is that Bina is hamevin davar mitoch davar. It's the ability to understand something from within itself, to break something apart into particular pieces that make it up so that we can really understand the details that create the cloud, that we can understand each and every particular. Now, this descent into the particularities of ideas with the Moach of Bina is an act of severity because at first you have to break up that which was previously whole and holistic through the Moach of Chachma, which is why the Moach of Bina is going to be on the left side. And the Pasuk tells us in Mishle that Ani Bina li Gevura, that Gevura and Bina are often associated with one another because the Moach of Bina has to do with breaking something apart to understand the particular points. But there's a Mila, if you will, there's an elevated status to the Moach of Bina in that by descending into the particularity of the idea, by breaking it up into small bite-sized parts, we're no longer stuck in the generalized totality of it all, where we don't really know what makes the thing up through our vision. Now we really understand the particular points that build up the Moach of Chachma, each and every idea that goes into building the Moach of Chachma. Yes, we're stuck in the particularity and the differentiation of the thing, but by exposing ourselves to the differentiation and the particularization of the thing, we also enable ourselves to later on have a deeper understanding of things. Now, for the Arizal, for the Zohar, and as we're going to see, for the Mitla Rebbe, um, the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, the, the son of the Balatanya, and we're going to see this in the Leshem as well, and Rebbe Nachman, actually, that Bina has a unique relationship, not with Chachma, but that which precedes Chachma. Like we said last week, that when we're starting from Keter, the three heads, the three modes of consciousness are going to be Keser, Chachma, and Bina. Keser is going to be the cranium, it's going to be in the middle of the head, which is representative of the will or the desire or Ratzon, this ineffable, open-ended space where consciousness is born. It's the ayin. It's still nothing because in Tam Laratzon, like we said in the name of the Balhatanya, that Keser is devoid of any particular distinguishments because it's a generalized will, which doesn't necessarily have any specific reasons for it. That ayin of the Keser then gives birth to the Yesh of the Chachma, which is the Yesh Me Ayin. And Chachma, like we said, is the generalized vision of the idea. And after Chachma, we have Bina, which is the particularization and the breaking apart of that idea of Chachma. Now, reasonably, we would say that Keser gives birth to Chachma, which then has a relationship with Bina. But as we're going to see, there is a theme or a thread that is drawn throughout particular Mikubalim based on the Zohar HaKadosh, that it's not only Chachma, that which proceeds Keser that has a relationship with Keser, but rather Bina, even though it's two levels separate from Keser, Bina and the differentiation of the severity of the mind, the Gevura of the mind, has a unique relationship with that which is contained within Keser. And for our purposes, we're going to see that the Os Chaf, as we'll see it in Rav Kook, and I believe that you can't really learn the Os without having this proper idea in mind, is that Chaf is representative of both Keser as well as Bina. And the reason for that is, is because while the Chaf is typically designed to represent Keser and the will and the Ratzon that remains ineffable in its transcendent nature of the mind, 
there is a particular way that it is revealed in a sort of severe way that we can actually grasp, specifically in, in Bina. So when we look at the Oschaf, what we're going to be looking at is the sugya of Keser, the sugya of Ratzon, the sugya of the will, as it manifests within the limitation of the mind, within the differentiation and the severity of the mind, as it is ma'ayin and as it is mefalpel on different ideas. So first and foremost, we're going to look at Rabbi Nachman in two different places. Now, it's a theme throughout the Mekubalim, the Arizal, the Zohar brings it down, the Pardis Yeronim brings it down, that the letter Chaf is representative of Keser because it is the Roshay Tevos of Keser. Chaf is the first letter of Keser. And not only that, but the Gematria of Chaf, uh, the Gematria of, Keser, of Chaf, I'm sorry, is 20. When 20 is spelled out, the Mekubalim point out it's Esrim, and Esrim, the Gematria, is the Gematria of Keser, 620. So just a remez, the Alma that our Mekubalim show us to associate the Chaf with the idea of Keser. And Rabbi Nachman says in a very beautiful piece in Torah Kuf Ayin Gimel in Chelak Aleph of Likutim Maharan, where he actually psychologizes the idea for us, where he takes this away from the realm of esoterica and actually brings it down into the psychology of the soul. And he goes and says as follows. He says that Shehakaf Meramezes Abchinas Shrinta Pnimis that the letter Chaf is Maram as it points to the interiority of the Shechina, the panemius of the Shechina. Um, and V'chein Isa Be'etzchayim, says Rabbi Nachman, and it's also written in Etzchayim from the Arizal, the Indian Hislabshes HaOlamos, in the process of the engarbing of the worlds, how the world is Metzamsim itself to the point that we can actually touch it, like a garment allows us to see that which is internal. And Rabbi Nachman continues, Shehakeser hu Pnimiyas Hanefesh, that the Keser is the Pnimiyas Hanefesh. So we see that the Keser, the Chaf, is the Pnimiyas Hanefesh, the Pnimiyas of the Shrinta, and the Keser is the Pnimiyas of the Nefesh. So we see this Gzeira Shava, if you will, that the Chaf and Keser are associated with one another. Now, in order to understand the nature of Keser that we're going to be describing it in as this thing, this ineffability, this undescribable, this indescribable space within the soul that due to its transcendent nature cannot be captured in words. And Rabbi Nachman expresses explicitly in Torah Samachdal and Bo'el Paro that really the only linguistic device available for us to grasp Kesser is actually the negation of speech, which is shtika of kach ala b'machshavte, that kach ala b'machshava, Rabbi Nachman says, that when I go above machshava, when I go above chachma, what I find is shtok kach ala b'machshava, because Above Chachma, above the loftiest level of the mind, is Keser, which is Shtika. And Rabbi Nachman says as follows with regards to how we're going to have to understand Keser with regards to the letter Chaf. So in Torah Vav, the famous teaching, which was described by Rabbi Nassan HaKadosh and his Talmidim as the letter, the Igeret, that Rabbi Nachman left for his Chassidim, discussing the importance of Tshuva, <coughs> and the necessity to be a Bucky in Ratzah and in Shov, to be able to elevate oneself and descend down into the spaces of banality and emptiness without losing sight of Kedusha. Rabbi Nachman says as follows, It is impossible for a person to apprehend this honor of God, this honor of God that comes from the silence of the individual, except through the act of tshuva, of return. V'ikr ha-tshuva, says Rabbi Nachman, and the fundamental idea behind tshuva is when a person hears and 
beholds his embarrassment, when he recognizes his character flaws as pointed out by their own soul or by other individuals, and instead of fighting back with our typical defense mechanisms, we're able to be quiet and be macabre that and recognize that there's a certain truth to the severity that we're hearing. And Rabbi Nachman continues and he says, Kiles kavod below chaf, that you cannot spell the, wo- the word kavod, honor, without kaf, without the letter kaf. The hakaf hu keser. And the kaf is representative of keser, like we saw in Torah, kafai and gimel. So therefore we see a direct relationship between the idea of kavod, which is receivable through tshuva, and the necessity of tshuva and keser, because kaf is representative of keser. And the kaf, which is keser, Rabbi Nachman says, is the bechina of eheke, alif ke yud ke, the name eheke asher eheke, which HaKadosh Baruch reveals himself as to Moshe Rabbeinu by the burning bush, is a name that is associated, according to all Mikubalim, with the idea of keser. Because like we said, keser is not something that is present at the present moment, but it is rather something that stands right beyond our grasp. It is something that is makif, it surrounds. It is not something that we are capable of pointing our finger at and saying, this is keser, this is the will, this is ratzon, but rather it is a makif to makif. It is this surrounding light, which we can try and describe, we can try and explain, but at the end of the day, all our language does is push it farther and farther away until we come to the place of Tachlis Hayidiyah Shiloneda, that the apex of knowledge, which is Keser, is the revelation that we can't truly understand um, Keser in itself. So Rabbi Nachman says something famous here. He says, this Bechina of Eke, instead of reading it as a name of Hashem, we can also read it as kind of this grammatical stance, which means I will be, as the Zohar HaKadosh describes the Shem Eke as Ana Zamin Lemeheve, I am prepared to be, that if a person wants to engage with this modality of Keser, it's not some active psychological state which we can express in some manifest form, but it's rather the expression that anazamin lemeheve, I am prepared to be, I am ready for whatever comes next. It is not beholding that which is, because Keser is beyond that which is, but rather it is this awareness that whatever is to come, that infinite space that melts and drips into existence, whatever melts into existence, I am ready to be makabel. I will be what I will be. It is not something that is present, but is actually future-oriented, because anytime we try and talk about Kesar, we have to always come back to the idea that I can't yet describe it. I could only describe it in the future. And Rabbi Nachman continues, and he says, this is the Bechina of Tshuva, because Tshuva is the idea of becoming something different. Ki da because Eheke is this idea of I am going to be Hainu Kodem HaTshuva, as if before Tshuva I wasn't a person and after Tshuva I am a person. And Rabbi Nachman goes on and says something particularly wonderful here, and he says, somebody who says, when a person comes to purify themselves and do Tshuva, then they are in the modality, they are in the space, they are in the psychological space of I am becoming, I am coming to be, I am not yet present, but I am future-oriented, which is the posture of tshuva. <coughs> that I will have existence in this world. That which is prepared to be in the future, but not yet present, that is the Bechina of Keser. And Rabbi Nachman says, Because Keser is also the Lashon of waiting. 
Okay, so this idea of waiting, this idea of deferring the present moment so that I can become something bigger, so that I can express something that is transcendent to me at this point, that is the idea of waiting, which is the Bechina of Tshuva, like Chazal tell us, Habal Tahir Masayan Oso. And this is based on the Pasuk and Eov of Katar Lizeir, of wait for me just for a moment. So we see that Keser is going to be the same Lashon as Hamtana. So for our purposes here, we have the idea that Keser is this thing which is prepared to express itself. It is an ineffable Ratzon that is not contained within Kalim, and therefore it is not expressible through the normal vistas of linguistic devices or language or osios, but it's rather something that surrounds in an unidentifiable and undistinguishable way that informs everything we do. The rutzon that is expressed in Kesser is found everywhere. It's the ayin, but because it's everywhere, we don't have the ability to describe it in any particular way. Now we're going to see that this ineffability of Kesar, which is prepared to be, which is waiting to be, which is waiting to come into being, by the shame of Eheke, of Anna Zamin Lameheve, where does it come into being? How do we find it manifest? So we're going to see from the Mitla Rebbe, and this is based on the Arizal as well, that this aspect of Kesar, of coming into being, that which is transcendent to being, is going to be found manifested within Bina, within the limited space of the constrictive mind of Bina, of the left brain. Now, I'm going to be reading from Torah Chaim, from the Mitla Rebbe, which are his Drasho Salat Parsha, a profound sefer, and I'm reading from Daf Pei Aleph here, and this is what the Mitla Rebbe says. He says, Lahavin Zeh, in order to understand what we've been discussing until now, Yesh Lahaktim Habkama Aleph. Right, I have to introduce with one introduction. Vuhu biur hamaamar bezohar, and it's based on that which is written in the Zohar Chela Gimel, based on the pasuk of Bamidbar Yilches Chaf Gimel, where it's discussing the avoda of the Leviim, and the first three words of that pasuk are ve'avad halevihu, and the work of the Levi is. And the Zohar asks a question, basically, what relationship does the Levi, which is representative of din? And music comes from the Levium because music is built on the interrelationship between constriction and openness and openness and constriction. And the Levium were the Shomrim of the Kohanim. They were the Gvura to the Chesed of the Kohanim. How is it that the Levium, which are representative of Gvura and Bina and the severity of the left side, how is it that they have a relationship with the idea of who, which is representative of Atik, of Keser, of that which is removed and that which is profoundly above that which we're discussing. And the Mittler Rebbe continues and he says, the Avad Halevi Hu and Zakta Zayhar Dahu Atika. And who is Atika? So the Mittler Rebbe says, Diyeshla We have to ask the question, Bazeha Maimer, with regards to this Maimer in the Zohar. Dahalo Tevas Hu, Hainu Bechinas Bina Kiyadua. Now, isn't the word Hu typically associated with Bina? How do we find here this relationship between Va'avar Halevi, this Darga of Bina, and Hu, which is the Darga of Atik Yomen? How can we have such a Dilug? How can we skip Chachma? How is Kesar revealed specifically in Bina? And the Mitla Rebbe continues and he says, And not in Chachma, which is higher than Bina and more Chesed oriented than Bina. And if we were to say that 
the Leviim come from the left side, which is associated with Bina, and therefore it says, So the Mitlarebbe continues and asks, okay, so now we know that the Leviim are associated with Bina, but how is it that they have the ability to reveal Keser? And the Mitlarebbe continues and he says as follows. He says, the Iker, the fundamental place that Atik, the fundamental place of that which is removed, that Keser is revealed in, is specifically by Bina Shinik Rahu, that is referred to as who? And not in Chachma. Why? Because the Mitla Rabbah goes on to say that it is specifically through the descent into the particularity. It is specifically through this act of Gevura, which allows us to descend into the specificity of the idea, of breaking it up into parts and recognizing that we need to break it open in order to understand it, to split it open. Specifically there, a person can reveal to themselves the light of Keser. Specifically when a person descends into the prate pratiyut of existence, into the fragmentation and into the broken parts which appear devoid of a unifying thread. Specifically there, a person has the ability to reveal the anazamin lemeheve, that which is preparing to be. That is where we have the revelation of keser. So with this introduction, and the Leshem himself says it as well, he says that we find in multiple places that the Shem Eheke is representative of keser and bina, and he goes on to say that we have no relationship with Keser except through Bina. So again, just the source, a primary source that's pr- promoting this idea and supporting this idea that Keser, this ineffable transcendent will of that which will become after the present moment, because the present moment doesn't contain the vessels for it, that Koach, that Koach of Ratzon, that Koach of preparing to be more in the future, more than I am at the present moment, the aspect of tshuva, that can only be revealed in the constrictive mindset of the detail-oriented space of Bina itself. And with that, we're going to look at Rav Kook's letter of Oskoth, and we're going to see that at times he's going to be describing the beginning of the manifestation of things into being, from the Yud to the Chaf, utilizing the Kaf, the, the hands and the scale in order to measure out the materiality of existence. But at the same point, there is going to be an ineffable thread, this Keser that goes along with it, which says that even though <clears throat> we have the beginning of matter here, there's still an irreducible remainder of Keser that is being revealed, which carries the Chaf on to be more and more later on. And Rav Kook says as follows, he says, the essential content of existence is now arranged one against the other. So we saw in Ostes all of the pratiyusam, all of the particularities, everything in its individualized, fragmented space, all nichlal besoch, the or of the tzaddik, which we said, which was the Ostes. But at the same point, in the Os Yud, we saw the disclosure of Klaliyut, of the collective and universals of existence. So we have, on the one hand, universality, and on the other hand, particularity. On the one hand, we have the generalized systems, and on the other hand, we have the particularities. And as we saw over and over, Rav Kook is not satisfied with saying which one is the Iker, because both are the Iker. Pratiyut and Klaliyut need to always be found in unison. This is clear throughout Rav Kook's writings, because in truth, the giloy of Yichud HaAmiti is that the Klal and the Prat are shoved to begin with, that the part and the whole are one and the same. So we have the part and the whole which have now come 
to this balance, to some sort of relative combination. And we're not going to discuss what Rav Kook might mean by because there's not enough time, but I think there might be a reference here to the Rashash's system, Rav Shalom Sharabi's concept of which is a profound idea in Kabbalah as it is. But nevertheless, Klaliyut and Pratiyut have arranged Lidei Hitzarfut Erchit, the relative balance. Shehakhaf hamikabelas eschunas hamishkal v'haaracha hashav ba'alupulasa. And kaf is the kaf ma'aznayim, is the scale, like we saw in Os Gimel, the scale or the mitkala, which balances existence. So this kaf ma'aznayim, this which is the same osios as kaf, is representative of the balance of things, the balance of opposites, the balance of the Pratiyut, the balance of the Klaliyut, along with their equalizing measure, they come into existence. But that's not enough, says Rav Kook. The Chaf is not simply this balancing act of Pratiyut v'Klaliyut, but rather, Yachad im ha-pe'ula ha-teknit So the word Chaf, the letter Chaf, is not simply reminiscent of a scale, but it's also reminiscent of the kapayim, of the hands. So the way Rav Kook balances these two definitions of the word is that on the one hand, the Chaf represents the scale which brings order and balance into existence, which allows for an equal playing field between the Klal and the Prat. But beyond that, it also is prepared now to become technicality. It is prepared now to become something real and active and technical that we can deal with. Because like we said, after the Yud, we have the Chaf, which is the beginning of the formation of matter. So we have here not only the scale that measures the Chaf and the Klaliyut and the Pratiyut, but we also have this expression of the hands and all of the P'ulot HaTakniyot, Hamit Galeb Kapayim. And here of Cook says something amazing. So what is it that Rav Cook means when he says that the Chaf is representative of the coming into being in technicality, meaning that something is now manifesting in a real way instead of this generalized Klaliyut, which doesn't have a descriptive term, I can now actually point and say it is something specific, something detailed, and something particular. Where does that come from? Where does this pu'ula takapayim come from? Where does the act of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hands, kavyachal, come into being? Rav Kook says the beginning of that is The first expression of that is the this compulsion, like we saw in the Os Gimel, that there is a nasira that is necessary in order to break away from the dependent relationship where we are compelled to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That nasira, that separation, that back-to-back relationship is there to allow us to then have Bechira. We saw this explicitly in the Os Gimel, but Rav Kook is saying here is that the beginning and coming into being of active technical action through the hands comes originally through this kefiyah, this inner compulsion that forces the expression of potential into creation to be mitgalem b'tzura yadua, to reveal itself in some form of particularity, b'tchuna meduyaka. So here we have Rav Kook describing Bina, really, because Bina is the space where creation begins to take on proper names, where creation begins to be expressed in hitgalmut yadua, 
in some specific and identifiable space. Like the Zohar tells us all the time, Bina is the mother, is the Ima that gives birth to the Sheva Midos. Everything we know, all limitation, is born out of Bina. The, the Chesed, the Gvura, the Teferas, the Netzach, the Hod, the Yisod, all of the seven days of the week, the seven measures of creation and their fallenness, those all come from Bina, from Eim Habanim Samecha who remains transcendent because she's still part of the elevated realms, yet nevertheless has a certain relationship with limitation. So this kefiyah that forces HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kavyachot to give birth to existence in a surah yidua and tchuna meduyaka, that comes from Bina itself. Alpi ha-chefetz v'ha-magma ha-yisodit. Now, Rav Kook 